okay. <laughs> no question. Uh, there's no question that can't be answered. So. Yeah, you say that. You say that. Don't worry about that. No, you're all good. Take it down. Just hope I don't cry. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, no <laughs> this I'm could be your first one. I'm going Hello everyone, welcome back to the PearPod. Thank you for the support on the last episode. Apologies for the little uh, the little break in posting there. Uh, we've solved all those issues and we are deep into season four all the way up until the end of Christmas. Today I am joined by the founder of Fight Connect TV, host of the First Exchange podcast, Lydia Daydal. That's it, isn't it? Bravo. Thank yes. you very much. Now, <laughs> first and foremost, you messaged me and you were like, I saw a few of your TikToks online. Yeah. We don't get a lot of a lot of shares over here on the PowerPod. We don't get a lot of, uh, uh, I guess we don't, we like, it's mad to hear that people are seeing like the stuff yeah. you do. You've loads of views. One of your videos is like a quarter of a million or something. I don't know at all. That. Okay, that's good like, views. Did you see the, Mar- is it the Marcus Sweeney yeah. one? That's, that's not even, I, I'm not in it. I'm was, not even in it. It's just him. <laughs> I was down in Marcus Sweeney rabbit hole and uh, I found the podcast. It's a hell of a hole. It's a hell of a place. No, it, um, <laughs> it's nice. Like that one completely took off. I'm, I'm kind of in like a, uh, do you know what happened with that podcast? No, not at all. Well, we'll start this very quickly. I'm very interested to hear about how you it, got him on your podcast. Oh, that wasn't the hard part. Um, Simo, <laughs> who I had on before, I don't know, he hosts uh, the Hard Chats and Hard Hats podcast with another yeah. bloke. And he rang Marcus Sweeney during my podcast and he was like, you should have, you should come on the Pod," And he kind of started it. And then um, we did the podcast and... The person, I don't know if it won't go into everything, but someone that Marcus was like calling out in the podcast reported it and it got taken down in Ireland. But it got a thousand views in like two days, which is like unbelievable wow. for me. Wow. Okay. So I we're think kind of, I know who that person yeah. might be. So do I. She, <laughs> she, she may have followed <laughs> me on, on Twitter the day before I went out. And I was like, well, I hope she doesn't take this podcast down. I'm not going to no. say anything that will. No, all very positive. Down. All very positive over here. Great. Um, Okay, so starting off, I actually listened to a bunch of your podcasts this week just to kind of get a gauge of like what uh, what kind of vibe the podcast would be. Yeah, and like immediately I was like, oh, this is very chill. Like you're very, uh, I guess you're you're very bubbly on camera, which yeah. I think is really nice. And I think it puts the the guest in a very like comfortable position. And um, when you kind of where when you were growing up, where where did you grow up? What I grew was it? What was like in Waterford? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in Waterford, and then I moved to Dublin when I was uh, about nineteen, I think. Yeah. Uh, just on a whim, I had a friend who was like, um, "Oh, I'm moving to Dublin for college, and I've got." Uh, like a twin room, like 300 quid a month. You want to jump on this? I was it wasn't, like, it wasn't recently, anyway. It case. was definitely not recently. Yeah. And it was like this massive, big um, six bedroom house in Terranure, just by the KCR. Lovely. If anyone knows Dublin. So it was a huge, big house, massive, big front and back garden. And I came up and I got a job in Terra Records. Oh, sick. Yeah, okay, the nice. original Terra Records, and not the yeah. one that, that's on uh, Nassau Street, I think. But mm. um, yeah, and that was just the most insane brilliant uh like growing learning periods it was the f- most fun job um, what, what year like approximately like is in what stage of music was was music in was it like cds now coming in or was records still like very popular uh, yeah it was cds cds are the main yeah. um but like we we obviously did have a big vinyl section yeah. but vinyl was kind of you know there was people who would come in looking for vinyl that were sort of like old school heads yeah, that like yeah. wants to keep it real like old school you mm. know but that sort of resurgence of vinyl was starting to like creep in afterwards um but it was more to do with like they had hot they were there was about like 20 or 30 people working there and it was all a bunch of like really cool 
like people from all different cultures, mm. all different backgrounds, all different countries, but they were all into music. They're all playing music, you know? So we had this like really cool group of people, you know? Enjoyed going to work. Loved going That's to work. That's such a nice feeling when you have like a bunch, you're going into work, you're like hung over to bits, you're like, oh, it's the lads. And so you check the yeah. roster and you're like, oh, yeah. So it was literally that buzz. All the management was so cool. Um, and it was just because everyone was so into music and just like, you know, just the conversations and the fun. And we used to all hang out together after work. We'd all go for pints. We'd all on sesh together. We'd all roll into work at the same time, you know, no sleep, you know, it just, it was a really, really cool uh, time period. And I met some really amazing people who are still my really good friends now today. So it was awesome. Is that how the band got started? Um, Is that how the band got started? No, I started a band in Waterford, like, you know, those crap bands, but they're not actually crap because they, lead you somewhere but it was like you know playing cover versions in like some crappy industrial estate like room that's flooded and there's rats running through it and you're like you know doing covers of green day and the distillers and rancid and stuff and you know i was like oh i'm gonna be a rock and roll star and you know the guys who were in the band were just wanted to be um you know playing a few tunes in the pub on a saturday night and i had just known that i was I don't know if I knew I was like destined for great things, but I just knew that I wanted more and there was more life and opportunity out there. Mm. So I kind of uh, canned it. I moved to London for a year. It was a disaster. Mm. I'd come home and then I got the offer with my friends to go to Dublin. So music kind of wasn't really in the forefront of my mind. I knew I love music and I wanted to be around music, but being in the bands wasn't really my thing anymore. I was just happy and content to be in Terror Records. Did... did it's it's mad to think that like you had like there must have been a period there because I, I listened to an interview where you were talking about that like you had a there was a, a a period of success there where you were like touring or at least like yeah. you were living as a professional musician yeah, yeah like yeah, during yeah. that period where you're like oh this is like this is exactly what I want to do or did you kind of through living it be like I don't know if this is for me um I probably had about there was moments where I was like I'm never letting this go this yeah. is the dream and then there was a large chunk of it where I was just absolutely miserable and so unhappy but Mm. that wasn't to do with music and it wasn't to do with anything else it was because of who I was at that time and you know I was just very lost um and then you're in a dysfunctional family with people who are also lost Mm. and who are also unable to communicate Mm. and you're so passionate about this music and this band that it it creates this monster Mm. where everything else just sort of you know, falls to pieces and you just are so passionate about making it work. Were you all friends like before it started? Was it one of those or did you kind of come together as a, as a group? No, uh, Daniel, that was the, the lead song. Well, it was the songwriter and the lead guitarist and, you know, uh, towards the end was the co-vocalist. Um, he, we dated, mm. like we went out. That's how we met. That's got to be dangerous. Like, it, it, well, I mean, I'm testament to it. Rock and roll, baby. <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> but we met at a party. Um, you know, he was just like, I, I remember it like clear as day. We were at this like um, party. We went to an early house. Mm. Can't remember the name, but it's on the keys. It's still open. Um, but we were at this early house and uh, he was just like, do you sing? Do you sing? And I was like, no, 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 I don't sing. I work do in Terror I Records. <laughs> I was like, I work in Terror Records. And he was like, you know, you should be in a band. You look really, really cool. 
Um, and I had like bleach blonde hair. I, I was know. very, okay. <laughs> it was an awful time period for like fashion wise, but it was cool. Um, and yeah, he, we basically started dating and he would not let me alone. He's like, I have this song, you need to sing on it. And I was like, I can't sing. And he used to say all the sixties, all the greats, they had like female vocalists and most of them couldn't sing, you know, it was like spoken word kind of. Mm. And um, but then I climbed into my wardrobe in my bedroom and I cut a vocal. Um, I can't even remember, I can't even remember the name of the song now, but it was really good. And he helped me build my confidence. And then I realized that, oh, actually I can sing. Um, and yeah, it was like a really, really fun journey for the next couple of years. It's, it's, I've had, um, the podcast before this, I had Aaron Rowe on, who was, uh, he's like, uh, basically doing like, he's a musician, but he's doing it in kind of pubs and stuff right now and like right. small gigs during the week. Okay. And, uh, I was kind of like, he, I was kind of blown away. He was like, I don't really want it to get any more than this. He's like, yeah. this is kind of like the best. He's like, I go and I get to perform and people like me and some people like, I might get stopped every now and again. Some might be like, you Aaron Rowe. And he was like, any more than that, I wouldn't be interested at all. Yeah. And then we talked about the Lewis Capaldi documentary that came out. Did you see that? I saw that clip actually. Yeah, and yeah, then, uh, yeah. yeah, we're all over folks, <laughs> all over. Um, and he talked about that and I was kind of like, it's, it's mad to see how many people kind of get like chewed up and left the other side of like oh, the yeah. music industry it's and stuff. De- it's definitely like, you know, I we I I feel like there was so much that we could have achieved if we had all had our heads screwed on and we had the right people behind us um and you really just get a sense of like it's such a like chaotic industry to to be anywhere near you know and you really have to be so level-headed and so protected for it to work properly um, and unfortunately we had no clue and we used to I remember we used to sit at home and watch the Stone Roses documentary mm-hmm. the whole lot of us uh, because um, Rory our bass player was Daniel's brother so oh, there was shit. a period where I lived in their like family home yeah. um, while we were like trying to make it you know I'm so grateful to uh, their parents because they were so kind to let me live mm. with them Um but I remember we used to watch the the Stone Roses documentary where like Ian Brown is talking about signing that contract and like the all the hell that they went through to try and get their money back. And we'd sit there going like, God, how could you be so stupid? And then you find yourself in situations where you're like, man, I see how easily it happens. I don't think I don't think that many people consistently are that stupid. I think it's starting to people start to realize it's kind of the system. Yeah, like the way 100%. It works yeah, but it makes sense. You know, it's like, all right, you you someone puts up like x amount of money for you to go spend six months making this incredible album at this like five star like whatever with this like you know grammy award-winning producer and you don't think you have to pay that back you know in some way like everything everything is a cost everything costs everything that's what i've learned you know sadly in business is like nobody how no matter how in big division is for that investor they're not going to invest money unless they can get it back tenfold 100 percent. and like how on earth like switching a little bit how do we get to combat sports (laughs) from from there so uh, uh, the band obviously self-imploded um like Total Fleetwood Still Mac. Still a reunion tour in there. there I, do you know what? I actually think... There's a run there. I definitely. I've thought about it, you know, like... I remember a couple of years ago, I actually reached out to Rory and I was like... Um, 
what do you think about a comeback tour? Uh, like it was 10 years since our debut album had come mm. out. I was like, we owe this music, which is so great. We owe it mm. to just have our shit together and just do it again and do it properly, level-headed and just like go out and do it the way we were like, we're meant to do it. And he was just like, no, like the leads, like my bro- his brother, the, the, the kind of other duo the half of the whole face of the band he's like there's not a chance in hell he would even stand on the same stage as you and i was like okay well that's sad but it's you know i've been, I've been known to hold a tune <laughs> we, we want to like we like go out on the road and like <laughs> uh, it's, i've i've been in i've i've been in a couple of musicals so it's oh okay oh, right yeah. okay they don't want to hear about that again that, no. that falsetto huh yeah Um, Um, yeah so how like where where does this i saw that you did jujitsu and you're obviously like for a long period now i've been doing jujitsu was that like your first intro into it yeah well what happened was the band ended i had a nervous breakdown um i was in a terrible relationship i thought that music was kind of like what i wanted to do and then i i i couldn't even listen to music anymore that's how bad Mm. the relationship had been with the the end of the band and uh, i was out one night uh, really drunk and my best friend's uh now fiance was like you know every time I'm with you and you're drunk you always like wrestle me he was like you need to do jiu-jitsu he's a uh, judo black belt oh, and he was like you need to go to jiu-jitsu and I was like I have to go to the gym you know I'm a musician like there's no way I don't exercise and uh he was like come I to smoke, my I smoke cigarettes yeah, yeah and a lot of like marble red like yeah. that was my like vice um, so he was like, you need to come to my judo gym and um, I'll teach you the basics and then see how you get on. So I don't know like why I did, but I did. I went for a couple of weeks to his gym. He showed me a few basic things. I turned, He had a white kimono on, which is like the suit that you wear in judo. Um, and he, we were training and I had makeup on and it was pure white and he had a class afterwards. And I remember he was like, oh my lady, are you wearing makeup? And I was like, of course I am. And he's like, this is a, you don't wear makeup doing judo. Like that's how much I did not know about the sport. Um, and then he was like, you need to go to East Coast Jiu-Jitsu Academy. It's run by this guy no called yeah, yeah, Daryl yeah. O'Connell. Do yeah. you know it? Yeah. Um, so I went, okay. And I got to the gym on a Saturday for the beginner's class. And like, I paced the road for 20, I was late. Like I was pacing the road going like, I can't do this, no way. And then it was like 20 minutes and I have, fuck it, I'll just go in. And I went in and then Chris Leddy, who's a black belt coach there as well, he's coach of uh, East Coast Bray now. But he was like, yeah, yeah, just get in the mats, you're late, you're late. Got in the mats and then... It's even worse going in late. Oh know, yeah, yeah, especially I, with I martial do that, arts. I do that all the time yeah. where I'm being like, you're in the car being like, okay, six more minutes. And then, and you're like, it's actually better if you get in there and no one's even like started the class yeah. so you can kind of melt into the back. Yes. But when you come in late, they go, fuck. Yeah, do you do martial arts? No. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm and like... Big, we'll get more into this. Big MMA fan. Yeah. Do box, box to train. Right. Where, not, where? Like, just like locally. Okay. Nothing, nothing right, crazy. Okay. Just to okay. get like fitter. Okay. Yeah, and like, amazing. I love the sport. Would love to learn more about it. And like, was really into um, MMA. And there was like, I had a thought that I was going to go and do some jujitsu classes and stuff. And kind of the same thing that you're talking about there. Just like the anxiety kind of, I was like, I can't do this. I've made too many excuses why I don't yeah. do it. Yeah, but yeah. um, 
I have a couple of mates that do it and they were like, your long limbs would be so great. You'd be sinking in. Yeah, like, oh my God, yeah, you're so tall. I'm going. Yeah. Um, maybe, well. maybe this is the catalyst <laughs> for it. Um, I just want to kick someone in the head at some point. Yeah, yeah. So, it's I'm, really lots of fun. I don't have the hips. Is I don't have the hip mobility right now. You, um, you'll, you will, it will come. It's all practice. And then the more the more you watch it, the more you're like, Jesus, there's so much yeah, like in yeah. this. And it, but um, the answer is no. But I'm, okay. I want to do it more. Amazing, um, you should. Continue. So basically, um, I started and then I was like, wow, this is awful. You know, I was like really overweight. I was really unfit. I was literally hung over going into the class. And I was just like, this is the weirdest thing. Like, what the hell are they all doing here? And Someone's trying to snap your arm. Like, yeah, like I was like, you, uh, at the time, it, because it was my first class, it was like even just shrimping, which is like a kind of a warm-up exercise that you do at Star Jiu-Jitsu when you kind of use it all the time in Jiu-Jitsu when you're trying to frame and different things. But I was like, this is the worst thing ever. Why did I come? But then I got home and I was like, actually, that was, I'm intrigued. So I went back the next Saturday. So first class was enough for you to be like, okay, there's something to this. Yeah, no, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was like, felt so embarrassed. I was humiliated. Okay. I so was that's like, coming. yeah, I okay. was just like this. I am so embarrassed. But I had come from a lifestyle of being well known mm. in like our circles of music mm. and like, you know, I had gotten to this gym and no one knew who I was. Mm. No one knew anything about the music. No one knew anything about the band. And with the fallout of the band, there was a lot of talk around different circles. Like what happened? Like it's her fault, you know, like all these different things. And I was really ashamed and I was really like embarrassed that like my life was being discussed at like tables and pubs and stuff. Mm. Um, and I also had lost like what who I thought were friends, you know, people that I used to drink with and stuff that, you know, you're at that age in your 20s, you're delusional. You think these people are like good friends, but they're actually not. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that I went and people were like, oh, what's your name? And I was like, oh, it's Lydia and no one knew anything. So the, I, it intrigued me to go back. And then I went twice a week and then I was going three times a week. And then it was like three four months later and I was training six days a week I had quit smoking I had stopped taking like prescription drugs that I was illegally taking like Xanax and whatever else mm. you're taking because the session anxiety is too bad or whatever yeah. uh quit smoking like literally just quit everything and was like I'm obsessed with this new life that I have mm. and it was just the weirdest transition where like all the bad people just left. They just like dissolved. People think you're losing your mind. Like, totally. Like, you know, so I remember someone saying to me like, you know, what's your deal with all this like Zen shit lately? And I was like, oh, I'm going to the gym and exercising. Okay, yeah, what's Zen shit. What's you wanted to suddenly feel good? Yeah, imag imagine like trying to be, to be a better version of yourself. Like, how dare you? Where's my friend that bankrolled the session for me? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this is why people get so... Um, offended by you like changing mm. in that sort of manner is because you just remind them of everything they're not doing and it's way more comfortable for them to just yeah. like keep you in that little cage and yeah. this is the version of you that i know so keep stay that way yeah, you don't know? change because uh, i definitely don't want it and if you do yeah. like i lose you I yeah get that. exactly um so that led on to jiu-jitsu competing like knowing about martial arts like going to boxing shows MMA shows and then I got an invitation uh, to do a job in the three arena 
and it was for a MMA promotion called Bama, which is now Bellator Europe. That's mad. So <laughs> how so you got to slow it down slightly? Okay, how did you sorry. get? How did you go from? I'm a big, a big jujitsu, like totally into it. Big enthusiast for jujitsu. Mm-hmm. You then start, like, obviously, was there any interest in boxing and MMA and striking in general before no, that? No. And how did that transition kind of start? Where you were like, I want to go and start watching, you know, some boxing matches and stuff like that. So my brother was had always done boxing, but I never really paid attention to like, you know, paid, took an interest in that. And shadow boxing in the kitchen a lot. Like that, yeah, that yeah, yeah. Like I was that. like, what an idiot. <laughs> and then he moved to Australia and he done, he had a few MMA fights and I was like, oh, MMA. So I was aware of it. And then obviously jujitsu. And actually when I was in the band, all the guys were mad for the UFC, but mm. this is like old school oh, UFC. The like that's the, the golden ster- days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like le- legit, like, um, you know, and uh yeah like chuck liddell like absolute legend <laughs> he was what a time <laughs> he was an icon of the sport at that time still is though um but so i had an idea of it and then the jiu-jitsu and everything just started kind of coming together i had started training with a girl called lindsay doyle mm-hmm. uh, who has a company called female fight nutritionist basically does nutrition for women that fight and she was a an ex uh, kickboxing world champion, so she was like, "Oh, there's this like local kickboxing thing on. Do you want to come with me?" And I was like, "Yeah, cool." And then I went and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool. I love this vibe." And I'd never been to anything like that before. Um, it's very different to like a jiu-jitsu tournament, probably. Oh yeah, yeah totally. The like whole you know, event of it, all, spectacle of it, it all. was it was K one and pro kickboxing, so it was like you know. I mean, K1, it, K1's it, fucking serious. K1 is serious, but we go to a pro M- a Muay Thai show and then yeah. you really know you're at a fight. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like when Blood on everyone's legs. <laughs> there's like, literally an elbow like in the head. Um, I, I, brought my, I brought my son with me. Yeah, do you know rough. what I mean? So I was just like, oh, this is really cool. And it was like in this like, you know, um, Northside Dublin, like, you know, community center and, you know, those people drinking out of cans and then there was like kids and there was just, it was just brilliant. I was just like, this is deadly. Um... And then I just started like going with people that I met in jiu-jitsu to like, oh, there's this fight on or this fight on. And I just used to go to that. But then um, that led on to someone going like, oh, I, I was doing social media. So my like kind of day job at the time was like social media, digital marketing. And someone went, oh, I, I'm working for this like Bama crowd and they need someone to sort of do like a bit of social media and different things. Like, would you be up for it? So I was like, yeah, 100%. Mm. Like, you don't get paid. I was like, well, I don't care. Mm. So I went and... Um, for that fight week, I was doing like coordination. So like getting the, the fighters to the hotel, getting to the interviews, mm. you know, just kind of like helping out, like dropping off posters, sorting tickets out for people, all those kind of different things. And uh, now I realize that I was doing somebody else's job who was getting paid for it, but they just had me as a little runaround. But I didn't care because I was like... <laughs> I'm hungry again. Yeah, like literally, I was like, yes, I'm going to run and get I'm you. just sitting here. <laughs> um, but it was such good, uh, uh, like l- the learning that I learned from it and, and you know, the, the kind of experience was amazing. Um, and I was backstage in the three arena and someone was saying like, you know, oh, can you get a few videos or you can do something for social? And I remember like this, uh, like such a moment where I was like walking down the corridor in the three arena and... Like if you if you've ever been backstage at Three Arena and there's like I have have you okay what was it for uh, I don't want to say um, my like dad, Miley Cyrus or something no, it's worse uh, my maybe my um my stepmom was uh, good mates with like Louis Walsh and stuff so they got oh, us backstage okay. for uh, Westlife 
Real royalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big stuff. <laughs> I do remember, but like when you're backstage and there's different doors either side for like yeah, dressing. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. So I was like walking down this corridor and like, you know, on this door to the left, there was someone warming up on the next door. Next dressing room was like someone hysterically crying with their team with like a sliced eye. Then across the thing was like someone like sh- popping champagne. And there was just all this emotion and energy in every single room. And I was like, what? I was like, what is this about? It was just the most, ins- I was like, how does no one see this? And then I went and I looked at like, you know, who's documenting this. Then I came across like a few different post-fight interviews and stuff. And I was like, no, 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 this doesn't capture fight sports. Like this doesn't capture the energy and the emotion that goes into professional fighting. Mm. And then that was when it started. That was the the love affair and the, right, I'm, it's going to be me. I'm going to document this. Yeah. I, Jesus. I've actually brought back to, what, hold on one second. We have five more minutes for okay. this stuff. Um, very quickly, I, I shot a behind the scenes like documentary in, um, in Spain for these mm-hmm. two MMA fighters that I met over there. And they did it in the back of this like Coliseum, basically like it was like a smaller show, like a regional show. Okay. And as you said, basically, no one obviously saw it in the front and the backstage like two of the heavyweight two of the main event started mm-hmm. fighting backstage and there's like beating the shit out of each other and then there's like the two of the events get like cancelled last minute one of the guys gets cut the guy that we're with who was supposed to be one of the first amateur fights gets pushed to the last fight after the main event because of like tv times and stuff and the whole period backstage there was that was kind of my first experience being backstage for the whole event like mm-hmm. that and I was sitting there, we must have been there eight hours. And I was sitting there being like, this is the coolest thing. Yeah. You're going to go out and like, they're warming up backstage. And then you hear, um, even when we were walking out, the guy, we had to walk past the guy who our, our lad was fighting. And he was like, he was like, I'll see you out there, pussy. Like all this kind of shit in the way. I was like, I was like, I'm not doing anything. But oh I man, like, I love it. Yeah, but it, uh, even the whole thing, it was infectious. And I can see mm. how people, imagine being the main event of a, of a yeah. card and yeah. the buzz you'd get around for people to come and see you. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. But I it's, can see it's, it. it's, it's not like anything that you can relate. You, you can't, you know, there's no parallel to it in anything else in life. No. I mean, the even to be in a gym training alongside someone who was training for a fight. Mm. I mean, that experience is, you know, and at the time with training jiu-jitsu, I went on to train Muay Thai then as well. And, you know, in that time period, I didn't realize how much that training could go on to then help me within oh, like yeah. the work and like having an understanding for and an empathy and a compassion for the fighters. And and I think that's why the interviews and the, the work that I done with Fight Connect TV was so, mm. you know. If you see, um, firstly, it's crazy to think that like, if you hadn't gone to that jujitsu class, yeah, none of this probably would have yeah. happened. Divine intervention. This is the Isn't only ex- it's the only explanation for it. Your 100%. whole career goes in a completely different direction. You fought, you changed your whole life because yeah. you went to that jujitsu class yeah. that you nearly didn't go to. Yeah. Yeah, 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 100%. That's a nice way to start to finish the first half, I think. And then we'll continue on from there. Stunning. Lovely. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for part two. Um, okay, so we've, we've, we understand now how you've got into the position you are. How, yeah. where in that does like Fight Connect TV and like the podcast start? Like, are you just doing presenting work for a long period? Um, well, I was, no, the Fight Connect TV was kind of uh, event stuff. So it was like going around to different events, mm. uh, covering the shows, doing the post-fight interviews. And then there was like a wild period of like three, four years where I just done that every single weekend, 
in Ireland, all the regional shows, all the amateur shows, all the kids shows, like, mm. you know, definitely put in the legwork. And then I was like, okay, I've been doing this for three, four years and I'm paying to do it. <laughs> I have to. Three or four years you were doing it for? Oh yeah, every single weekend. So I'd finish work at five o'clock and I'd run home. I'd like get everything packed, everything ready. I'd go to train on Saturday morning and then I'd go jump in the car. Actually, there's a cut woman uh, called Jessica Isaacson and she used to be like, I'm working this show and I used to get in their car and we'd go up like literally to Sligo uh, for like a, a kid's amateur show. So you, you were know? flat out for that period? Flat out. Loving it though? Like obsessed. Okay, great. Yeah, like absolutely delighted. Okay. And my belief still is that, you know, that was the right thing to do because I learned invaluable lessons along that time. But then I was like, okay, I need to like figure out what I'm going to do. And like, I'm gonna, I can't do this forever. It's not sustainable. So it was all about sort of like, you know, trying to make a business model out of Fight Connect TV mm. and kind of like structuring it properly. And the big goal was to, you know, the end goal was always for it to be a TV channel, you know, like the way Oprah went and, had yeah. own yeah. like the own network like I was like I connect TV that's exactly it um so that was the sort of goal that I was always sort of attaining for so whether it was sponsors and just growing and different things and then there was just loads of different opportunities then that kind of presented themselves mm-hmm. as a result of doing it like Virgin Media were like oh we need someone to discuss some boxing stuff you know that so that meant I was on like regional TV mm-hmm. then from that someone had seen me and was like, oh, there's this show called The Elaine Show. <laughs> so like, different. Literally, yeah, like so different. I was like, I just have to really just go deep within and just like find that part of myself that is perfect for this show. Um, but, you know, the the producer, Sinead Dalton, she's no longer at Virgin Media anymore. She's with um, Evoke.ie now. But she was like, you know, like fair play to her as a producer. She was like, I see something in you that will work so well on this show. And, you know, what a learning curve to be you know weekly like on live tv you know seeing the tv studio how it's set up how the presenters are we're on a panel now is this like is this kind of like a give me an equivalent show that this would be like that's on now loose women oh wow yeah okay. so it's loose women so you're coming it's the on irish version of loose you're women. coming on as like uh is it on those shows is it's all like just personality or do they try to get like different people from like different industries so to kind of yeah they get like conflicting personalities oh, nice. to come on Are you like debating people and stuff like that <laughs> not at the start but towards the end i was like Fashion. you know i really felt that it was important for me to like air my views on certain things and it's it's actually not an easy thing to do when you know you're the one percent that's thinking different to the panel do they want that the producers probably the they, producers, they want the, the producers do well. want that yeah, yeah, yeah. so they can't yeah. were they able to like say to you We'd like, like, you couldn't you know, stand up for yourself, or do they need to be like, you just do your whatever you're comfortable it's doing? Like, it's that dance s- they're trying to do. You, you get the topics before you go on, and you have an idea of what you're going to speak about, and then you'll be in the green room before, and the producer, or maybe the presenter, or whoever's kind of curating the day, will be like, you know. So we're going to talk about X, Y, Z, or you're getting your makeup done and someone's like, so we're going to talk about X, Y, Z, like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And you kind of go, yeah, oh my God, like, don't agree with that. Or, you know, oh my God, I'm waiting to tell you this. And then they're like, oh yeah, brilliant. Say that. Mm. Or it's like, that won't work. Don't, don't mention that. So we, we don't want to talk about that. And you know, are they having you on as like, uh, from like your music career 
or did they see a lot of your fight stuff that you were doing? And yeah, no, like, the, the music stuff was just no one, no one record so remembers me from it's, that. It's mad that like, <laughs> it seems like the biggest thing at the time. And now like they have you on as like a presenter kind of thing as like, yeah. okay, yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of that part. Then there was loads of like things with Joe.ie and stuff like different opportunities that had come up through the Fight Connect TV stuff. So what I found was that mainstream media was like, we really like you mm. and we think you're great on camera, but we need- are these conversations <laughs> for me? I'm they'll a delight. Come, they'll come, they'll come. I'm a delight. No, kidding, but they were like, you know, I think it was the fight element that were like, oh, she's really cool and alternative, but they didn't want to, there wasn't, it's such a niche thing. Or at that time, it was such a niche thing that it was kind of like, you know, well, you're great, but we'll just kind of sell you on this other thing, which was just your personality and whatever it might be. So I was like, look, I'll just go, you know, the work is the work, you know, you just take it wherever you can. Um, and then I was doing a show for Joe.ie and it was actually on boxing. Uh, we were having like a talk about Kate Taylor and all of her achievements. And it was, uh, um, what do I say? What's the word when you, uh, you're like auditioning for something? What's it called when you're auditioning for a TV show? You do like a, a pilot or you pilot. Audition, audition or a pilot? It yeah, was yeah. a pilot. Exactly. It. it was a pilot for um, hosting a sports show with Joe.E. Mm. And I was like, this is it. This is the moment. I can feel it. I love sports. <laughs> love sports. I'm so bubbly. I didn't get it. Um, right. I didn't get it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, but they were really great. They were like, you're, you're not going to get the presenter role, but we'll have you back as a as a speaking point or a guest on the show to talk about different things. But while I was there, there was a guy that was doing the sound for them. Mm. And he called this, me. This, this guy. Yeah, he called me and a couple of days later. He was like, oh, I heard you didn't get the Joe job. But he was like, listen, I actually think that you should consider doing a podcast. And I have just started this podcast studio and, you know, I'd love to get someone uh, from a combat sports background in because it's like, you know, Conor McGregor and it's this whole thing right now. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay, let's meet up and let's have a chat. So we had a chat and I really liked his vision for what he kind of wanted to do. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't want to be exclusive to combat sports. Like I just... I, I love hearing everybody's story mm. and I love that sort of like, you know, what have you done? Like, what have you made out of your life? No matter what your circumstance is, whatever it's happened, I want to hear about it. And I want to hear about your belief systems. I want to hear about your like everyday practices. I want to hear about you. Mm. And he was like, okay, look, cool. Let's do it. So we created the first exchange podcast. So I've done two seasons and it's really good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's mad to think I've, Two things to follow up on. First of all, you mentioned that you were covering boxing for like Kate, like you were discussing Kay Taylor and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. do you need to research and like watch a ton to like get yourself to a level of knowledge that you're comfortable to like give your opinion and know that you've like researched enough? Because, you know, it just because we, we can't go into it as much detail. It all seems very quick. Yeah. But obviously in that period, these are over like years and you've had a chance yeah. to like develop and watch like obviously a ton of boxing and MMA and stuff yeah. like do you do you consciously be like, I need to make sure I'm keeping up to date with like stuff so I know I'm on the ball when I'm on camera? If I was talking about something specific or specific, um, like for obviously when uh, Katie Taylor fought 
uh, Chantal Cameron mm. in the three arena. A lot of the conversation was about her previous fight with Amanda Serrano. So I needed to find out about Amanda Serrano where I probably don't have as much of a knowledge on her because obviously it's the American boxing end. And you learn who Jake Paul is and that, that kind yeah, of stuff. Christ. Yeah, Christ. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. All that stuff, you know. So it's like you learn about that stuff. But in terms of like knowing, you know, having an opinion on the fight, knowing who's the stronger um, uh you know, fighter in the fight, you know, who's the A side, who's the B side, all that stuff was all natural to me because it's just, it's my passion. It's like what I'm interested in. So I'm, I'm invested in it anyway. Um, but I, for someone listening, they could be like, God, yeah, it's real quick. Like she just went boom, boom, boom. And I mean, this is 10 years, you know? So it's like, and I still, I'm like, <laughs> I missed my mark on all my goals. You know, it's very hard for me to look back and go like, oh yeah, you've achieved so much. And people say to me and I'm like, oh God, I wish people would just shut up saying stuff like that to me because I haven't done anything yet. You know, it's like, you know, but I'm learning to just- You stop now, you've done it already. I know, like, I'm no. learning to be like, okay, you know, take a moment, lady, you've done well. Uh, so if if we can kind of, if you could have a preference to cover like boxing MMA, as you said, you already you want to keep it as broad as you can. Yeah. But is there a sport, if you had an option of the two, that you prefer to cover? Well, when I started Fight Connect TV, it was called MMA Connect TV. Okay. So it was originally So you were originally MMA. all MMA. It was originally it's all MMA. It's mad because now you, like, you definitely cover like a good bit of boxing now as yeah, well. Yeah, it's literally nearly all boxing, yeah. but that's going to change. Um, And back to MMA, back to my roots. Um. Yeah, like the, the 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 route to boxing was kind of uh, I had like sponsors in my ear. I had people that were like willing to invest, and they were invested in boxing. So they were like, you know, would you consider changing the title from MMA? And I was like, well, actually, I had been considering it because I was doing at MMA Connect TV, and then I was at boxing shows in Ireland, so and people were like, where are you from? And I'd say MMA Connect TV, and like you know, old school boxing heads were like. MMA's a load of fucking shite. <laughs> Can I swear in this podcast? Yeah. Yes. You know, they're like, a load of shite. Like, so I was like, it was it was giving a negative connotation, you know, when I was asking for interviews. So I decided to change the name to Fight Connect TV and do all fight sports. It just was and more you, business savvy. What's <laughs> uh, when you, yeah, like obviously, listen, if someone came in today and they were like, if, if Liquid Death comes in, they say dance. I'll, well, I'll, da I'll dance. Say, Let me look Liquid at the camera. Death. I'll dance. As much as you want. I hope people don't think I'm back on the drink because it's water. Yeah, it's just good branding. We don't do alcohol here. Mm -mm. We do. Just do you still drink? It's it's so, it, it was it was like my younger days, like 17. Mm. I'm 20, fuck, I'm 29 now. I was 29 last week. Happy and birthday. Thank you. Are you a Libra? I am. Very balanced. Yes. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Tell my missus. Um, but I, I basically was a big drinker from like 15, the usual crack. And then the last, I lived in Marbella for two years and yeah. the previous two years moved back here in May and drinking just kind of slowed down when I kind of got my missus and that got more serious and all my mates kind of grew up a bit. Yeah. And just the partying just gets less, less appealing. Yeah. Well, and wait until, wait in another 10 years and then you'll just be like, oh, okay, alcohol is just. Oh no, I get hangovers now. I'm mm. like, I would go, it's hard. Even I'm not taking the piss. Three beers. Yeah. I'll go out. I'll be like, geez, I feel a bit. Like I used to be, I, I was saying, I was saying this to my missus, I used to have a shoulder, six cans for pre's and then go out, no bother. And then go out and get, and they'd be like, all right, let's start drinking now. It's yeah. mental. And now that I'd be in a hospital. Yeah. So no. it's, it's, it's weird how that works. But um, yeah, as you we were saying, there's a couple of specific things that I want to get into and like a couple of particular like boxing, boxing and MMA topics. But right. can we talk about the Nganu and Fury fight quickly? We can indeed. Do you yes. want to talk about that? Yeah, okay. sure, of course. 
what were your impressions before I go into anything? So I, I must mention, I now have a radio show on Beat 102, 103, which is a radio station in the Southeast. And I'm the sports presenter there. So nice. my show on Saturday is based around like all the sports that are happening. So on my show, Saturday just gone, I was like, big night tonight, <laughs> Fury and Ganu. You know, I was like, you know, this is a ridiculous fight, <laughs> but circus, um, it's yeah. a money fight. It's the circus, but I'm all for the boys making like a ton of cash. Um, and then I was like, but Tyson is just going to absolutely, you know, dance around the ring. He's going to play with him for a couple of rounds and then everyone's going to go home delighted because they've got like 40 million in their back pockets. Mm. I didn't like, I literally sat, I did. I think I opened my mouth for the whole fight. I was just gasping. Mm. I couldn't, um, I, I could, honestly, I still don't believe what I have seen. Mm. You know, I, I'm verging on conspiracy theories at this point where I was like, it was all a fix. Tyson had to do it for like some money reason. But no, that's that's not. He just really, really. Um, he just he just did not take the, you know, he, he just believed his own hype and that like he he just thought that having an MMA fighter like Francis Ngannou, mm. like, oh, he he just cannot box mm. there's all the videos that Ngana put out of him on pads with Mike Tyson and different people and he was like now we know he was obviously faking like you know being bad on pads and stuff and everyone was like this guy is going to get absolutely like danced around and different things but I think also in like knowing boxing knowing Tyson like you know having an awareness of how his mental health um uh, is a positive and also a negative in terms of fights. And we, we can really look at all the different um, fights that he's had and where his mind has been at and how his performance has been, you know, elevated or whatever because of that mindset. And I really feel like a big uh, point that people aren't touching on is that I, I, th I really do think this Netflix series had a negative impact on him um, and on his mental state that Netflix series came out. Everyone was like, oh, at home with the Furies. Can't wait to watch it. And he, like his wife, Paris, I mean, and rightly so, she's an absolute saint. She really such, is. She's such a beautiful person. She actually probably came across the best in the whole show. I thought she came across really well. Well, this is the thing, you know, I think that the balance, he came off really, really bad. And it was like this talking point of like, you know, he was like the people, you know, the obviously the lineal champion, but also the people's yeah. king or prince or whatever title that they were giving him. And I really just don't think that he anticipated to get that much of a backlash. Mm. And it was then on the top of that was like, you know, he's a fake, he's a fraud. He's taking this in Ghana fight. He's all about the money. Like he doesn't care about his legacy. Why doesn't he fight Anthony Joshua? Why doesn't he fight Usyk? Mm. You know, and I just think that he was like, oh, I don't need to train going into this in Ghana fight. I'm just going to, you know, you know, I'm the best that there has ever I just been. Knocked Deontay Wilder out. Uh, yeah, the, I've the just most, most know, dangerous punch in history. Come back up off the floor like that. And this guy's this guy's in it like anyway. Yeah. Friday, I've taken away all of his elements except boxing. Yeah. I'm going to be able to school him. Yeah, yeah. It, just for talking about the Netflix documentary quickly. Um, I had this conversation with my friends. What's the need for him to be like looking back? So obviously he has serious anxiety. He's on like bipolar, like up yeah. and down, super. So who's making the call to be like, let's get Netflix in? with a bunch of cameras and document everything. Mm -hmm. And for him to be like, obviously the money wise, like he's good and he's set and yeah. they've had those conversations. So it just, it, it blows my mind that there's no one in his corner being like, maybe this isn't the best thing. You know, the producers are going to be looking for like 
controversy where they can and like making you know the moments that make you yeah. don't look great and it just seemed to me like such a even when it came out i was like this is all making them look really bad even like yeah. the the ups and downs and like let's fly to here no let's cancel it i hate you i want to like i like it disappears for a couple of days like it all made them come across really badly i was just interesting to think who made the call to be like well, let's, they let's had, do it they had done stuff previously before um like i think it was like an era special and they had done it with this a lady called uh, Demi, I can't remember what her surname is, but she kind of is known in the UK. She does little documentaries and different things. And on the back of it, it was the first time that fans really had seen Paris and had mm. seen kind of how um, like magnificent she is. I mean, like she's visually stunning. She's like seven kids, you know, she's married to like the most, you know, like the heavyweight lineal champion, you know, Tyson Fury, like there'll never be anyone like him again, you know, never has been, never will be. And, you know, she was just fascinating and she made really good TV. And then she got a job on Loose Women off the back of it. She'd done a load of book deals. Mm. She had a new book coming out. So it's literally, you know, it's somebody saying like, okay, there's something here. We can make a lot of money off this. You can make a lot of money off it. You know, it can raise up Paris's profile. It can raise up the Fury brand. And then for him, I think it's like, you know, let's give fans a real look at what it's like to be the heavyweight champion of the world, but also to have all these mental health issues. It'll only make you more relatable. It will only make you more blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, oh, this is a great deal. Yeah, let's do this. I just, I'm I'm a massive like Tyson Fury fan in general. And like the whole Deontay Wilder saga from him being like, you know, like 28 stone, depressed, suicidal, all those things. And then for him to like, knock Deontay Wilder out mm-hmm. twice. I like that's the most yeah. Cinderella story. I don't think he could have been at a higher point yeah. then. I think everyone was super inspired and he was the king in that moment. Yeah. And it just seemed, even though Francis did amazing and completely outperformed what people thought, yeah. it looked, even the way he showed, I heard some people talking about the way, the, the shape that Tyson was in when he showed up and stuff like that, that mm-hmm. he wasn't, and like he doesn't typically look great anyway. Yeah. But he did, it. the whole air of everything, even though he said otherwise, it all came across like he was just taking it too lightly. Yeah. And I can't help but feel like, like this is a massive stain mm-hmm. on his legacy. Yeah. And this will be something that people look back on. Like, I don't think people have even gauged like how outrageous it is for like, an amateur fighter or someone who's never had an amateur or pro boxing match yeah. to go in and go 12 rounds and controversially look, didn't win the fight, but in a lot of people's eyes, like yeah. dropped him, all those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Like that's such, it, it just, no one gave him a leg. Did you? I, well, it's mental to think that like Francis Ngano is now ranked in the WBC. You know I mean? He's in the top 10 of like, yeah, you know, mental. boxing heavyweights. It's really, uh, to think that there was no way that he was going to win that fight. You know, they were, they were not going to let Francis Ngannou walk out with those belts. Like it's just, he would literally have had to put Tyson on his back and that count probably would have been a little bit more than 10. Get up. <laughs> like, get up. you're at 15, get up. Bring but out the Migos, quickly. Uh, to be honest, I, I really do feel that this is another, um, way for Tyson Fury to come back and become, you know, the people's champion once again, like I, I mean, and, and all it does is it reinforces our love of boxing because the absolute, like, you know, boxing as a whole right now is so bizarre. I mean, there's just so many different elements where like over the last 10 years that I've worked in this sport, I, I, you know, I could have never predicted that we would be at like this. What's going on right now? Yeah. You know, crossover MMA boxing like YouTube boxing I mean it it really is um an interesting time 
And did um the, yeah, the only thing I can hope is that uh I hope it doesn't catalyst, be a catalyst for like a negative spiral for him to be like I hope like I, originally I think he was supposed to the Usyk fight was already signed and yeah. like due to happen yeah. and now Tyson's saying it's going to be the new year and like Yeah, they're saying February for it. Um it was like, December 23rd. Mm, and Usyk was in the ring being like remember what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's do you think that, that that fight happens next and then we see what happens. And what do you think happens in that fight now based off what you just saw? Um, do I think that fight happens? I mean, it it depends on Tyson's mental health. Mm. That, that It's not about cuts. It's not about money. It's not about promoters. It's about his mental health because uh, I could easily see him just hermiting now for the next like however long and disappearing. Or he could literally get a fire underneath him and be like, let's make December 23rd happen. It, it comes, won't, comes, but... comes back ripped. It, yeah, imagine? it will be February. I don't think we'll ever see that day, but, um, I, I, you know, in all the interviews of all the sound bites and everything with Tyson over the years, there was something about this one where I genuinely was concerned for him. You know, I was like, I really hope that he is okay because even just his tone, his manner in all the post-fight stuff, even the fact that he agreed to do interviews with certain people that he trusts yeah. with that big black eye and different things like just shows it's not very him. Mm. Um, but I do think the fight happens if he does come back and there'll definitely be two of them. That's for sure. And I can't see Usyk winning this fight I can't see it. And I know a lot of people are like, we j- Francis Ngannou, just blah, blah, blah. Like I, I, people forget that Tyson Fury is the greatest heavyweight boxer of recent times. Like, I mean, he, he his fight IQ, his, you know, sl- shot selection, he, you know, for that size. And if you- Footwork, like. I mean, his footwork, everything. I mean, if you, when you stand next to Tyson in real life, like he, I, it, it, there's so many times I've been looking at him going like, this is how is he this big? I mean, he's like six foot seven. He's absolutely he's massive. Six nine. Is it I nine? Oh, saying. I'm only five four and a half. So six, I'm like nine they're, they're, is they're li- that's like he'd be virtually like ducking in this room. Yeah, like that kind of height. Yeah. Um, how much credit do you give to Mike Tyson as the Ngannou coach, or where do you think the credit lies in his performance and doing that well? Um, no, I don't. I don't give Mike Tyson credit in in this fight. I think probably. It was a nice little edge for him, mm. nice little to have that kind of voice and that like support. And, you know, Mike Tyson obviously is extremely well versed in the yeah. art of boxing. So he probably would have gone in and said like, and he, sh- you know, chose a shot like this. And from Mike Tyson's hotboxing podcast, mm. you know, you can see how he breaks down fighters and, you know, he's got a very intelligent view of how a fight will go or should go or did go. Um, but I think that, you know, Francis Ngannou has a skill set mm. that was probably just needed to be tweaked and fine tuned a tiny he little bit. He fought so disciplined, kept like, and then did hurt him, didn't chase him down. Like he traditionally would just swing and like a yeah. mad thing. Yeah. And then even like, it, like obviously then Tyson kind of felt his power and like at no point Francis like panic mm. and be like, I'm going to start diving in. Yeah. He used the clinch really well and like, yeah. out, like out muscled him in the clinch yeah. and then kept range and like kept his distance. And yeah. was just, so it just, I, I like maybe, I think his coach, his MA coach is Dewey, is Dewey Cooper. Is that yeah. his? Yeah. So there's got to be a ton of credit going in there because the game planning yeah. and the under, that's why I thought Mike might've had a lot to do with it because he would have watched Tyson mm-hmm. a lot because the, the way they broke down how 
Tyson Fury fights and how they were going to operate to win the fight. Yeah. It just to go twelve rounds at like at that. It mm-hmm. just it, it really surprised me. I probably think that if there was anything uh, from Mike Tyson's corner, it would have been on how. Um, you know, the mental warfare probably of fighting Tyson Fury, because I think you can actually see it at a point just before the knockdown, or maybe it was around the knockdown. You can see it in Tyson's face where he was like, oh, okay, I could be in trouble here and I need to switch on now. Um, he hit him. I remember Tyson hit him with a couple of clean one twos and Francis just like laughed. He was, at, yeah, laughed he was at like, him. this is, but I, I mean, look I get at the kick, size of Francis and Gunner. I get like. kicked in the face. That's <laughs> nothing. But I did. I yeah. mean, he landed a couple of really clean ones. Yeah. I was almost being like, here we go. It's going to start. Tyson's going to start wrapping up. Francis just ate it and looked yeah. back at him. I'd say Tyson was like, then he gets hit. He's like, geez, this is going to mm-hmm. be interesting. I, there's like, I mean, there's an age old argument about like, you know, who's the toughest? MMA fighters, Muay Thai fighters, boxers. There's, there, there's durability in all the different sports and there's a toughness in all of them. But I mean, with MMA, like, you know, the, the, for, to be punched, to be taken down, to be elbowed, to be kneed, to be choked out. Like there's so many risks in, you know, one five minute round or whatever, uh, you know, whether the 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 three three rounds or five rounds or whatever it is so it like i mean you can't i don't think you can underestimate anybody i mean you see when mismatches happen all the time in combat sports and everyone goes to twitter and they're like oh it's a mismatch and blah 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 and this that and the other thing and it's like everybody is a risk you know no matter how good or how bad someone is on a particular day there is there is a risk Anything can happen once you get into, you know, the the square square circle, as they say, or, you know, the octagon, whatever it is. Um, And yeah, that's just, um, you know, proof that Tyson should have, his whole team should have really paid more attention Mm. and been more, um, I don't know, just should have just fought a different fight. Yeah, it's it's a I love um, all the interviews after all his family are so different. But Shane, his brother Shane always like keeps it. Yes, yeah. too almost too real. Yeah, and he will like. I always search out the interviews with him after a Tyson Fury yeah. fight because he'll be like, "Wasn't good enough," and yeah. I think he lost. And yeah. you'll be like, "Great!" Like he's he's brutally honest about it. Yeah. But even um, pretty much his whole family were like, "GCA didn't show up." We were kind of lucky to have it that way. What what um what would you do next if you were Francis Ngannou and you have the PFL kind of a fight there? You've just gone twelve with Tyson Fury. People think you beat him. Well, the PFL is on my vision boards. I am after a presenting. You after I'm after a presenting job with the PFL. So I'm hoping that I get to ask him in real life. Um, but if I was the PFL, I'd probably be really clever, and I'd probably look at where it went wrong for Francis Ngannou in the UFC. And I would say, because they they have it with Savannah Marshall and they have it with uh, Clarissa Shields, obviously both uh boxing champion were boxing champions in their own right savannah has now turned over to ma and clarissa has already had a couple of ma fights so they had this you know they're obviously going to bring them together not only in boxing but also in ma so it's a brilliant business decision and i think that they should you know open that door to francis and gano and and look at we're, we're in this weird world anyway where everything is crossing over you know we're seeing football people going in taking fights we're seeing you know it's just it's a mesh of everything so i would be like okay let's see what we can build here can we do this again can we do boxing versus ma can we get like someone from boxing into ma to fight on the pfl but i will be you know giving him free reign to explore boxing the only thing i will say about francis ngannou is you know i 
this happened because nobody knew what to expect from him. So he went in and shocked the world, right? I don't know if that happens again and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time because the more he fights, the more he gets figured out, the more he, you know, people are not going to underestimate him. So it's really difficult to know, you know, people, it's so fickle. You know, the, the world of combat sports, you know, fans is so fickle. Everyone is now riding off Tyson Fury, forgetting about everything that he's ever achieved. And they're like, oh, Francis Ngannou is the man. And, you know, he had a wonderful night. He had a really brilliant night and, you know, let's, I'd actually like to see him fight Anthony Joshua. Mm. If we're not going to see him fight Tyson, if Anthony is, is AJ is not going to fight Tyson, which I don't think will happen anytime soon. You know, AJ has always spoken about how he wants to go back to Africa. He wants to like have this big stadium fight, you know, and the, the two like, you know, their African heritage, obviously both from Africa, well, uh, AJ's family. And then obviously Francis Ngannou is, is African. To have that spectacle, like how good, I mean, I'm like, I want to go to Africa hundred <laughs> percent, make it happen. I, I want to be on that flight. Um, but it would just be so good to have all, you know, Adesanya, all these people from the, the UFC coming to support him. Then everyone from the boxing world, you'd have Eddie Hearn involved, you'd have Matchroom involved. It'd be matching meets the PFL. Like, I mean, it could be anything. So I think, I think it's wide open for Francis Ngannou. When you look at like what like Laura Senko and stuff is doing yeah. in the UFC, are you like, I think she's brilliant. She's so good. I think she's brilliant. Yeah, really and good. I think her, um, I, I actually, one of the big compliments I'd give the UFC is they do, they, they seem to pull the right people. Yeah. Like Dominic yeah. Cruz, mm-hmm. even Daniel Cormier. I was like, I don't think that's going to work. I was like, I, I was like, because I kind of grew up on the like loving John Jones, hating Daniel Cormier <laughs> buzz. And I was kind of like, I was like, what's his thing going to be? Is he going to be like, and then I, I've honestly improved. They, they kept him, they let him be so authentic, which is great. Yeah. I think, and that's kind of with Bisping the same thing. But like Paul Felder, I think was uh, such an unbelievable call. And I didn't know his personality that well, but I think he's great. Yeah. No, Laura Sanko is amazing. And, you know, it's long overdue that a big organization like that put a woman front and center and have enough confidence to know that she knows what she's talking about mm. and she can carry not only the brand, but she can be interesting and informative for the fan that's at home. Mm. Um, and you're always concerned when, you know, TV broadcasters in what, in whatever capacity it is, when they take a risk. Now I say risk, okay? Like, so we're all like high risk, you know, because it got said to me before, um, uh, you don't want to have too much energy because you don't want to seem like you're over eager. And you don't want to, yeah, because, uh, you know, that's for a male viewer because male viewers, you know, the market research, they don't enjoy an overeager female pundit or broadcaster, whatever it is. And then women watching women, you know, although it's growing and women are tuning in to watch more women and listen to more women, it's society and whatever reasoning for it, you know, men and women usually will choose to tune into the man and you know the man knows best or you know whatever it might be i think i think she's like she could very well now go <clears throat> go on and do like 10 15 20 years on like the panel now if yeah. she if she hands it right and i thought yeah. even you kind of saw it when she did is it the contender series that she yeah. did and yeah. she was great on that and yeah. that show blew up so i'm yeah. sure like dane was aware of those things um Two closer to home questions. Yep. One, I um, I saw that you had an, uh, an interview with Ian Gary on your 
podcast and I didn't get a chance to look the whole way through it. But he's been on our podcast before, Chad Dean Four, lovely guy. Yeah. And um, what period of time in his career did you interview him at? Oh God. Was I think it was four? Was it four uh, years ago? He, well, he wasn't even a pro when I. Oh uh, shit. Yeah, like he was I, a, straight up amateur. I used to interview him when he was an amateur. Yeah. And oh to, wow. Okay. <laughs> he used to tell like he was he was Ian Gary as we know him now back then, and you know, people used to say like, "See that fella? <sighs> he thinks he's Conor McGregor," and I was like. I don't know. I kind of believe him. And then they were like, you're just naive. You're just gullible. I was like, no. Over the last 10 years, I, if I had a euro for every male that has come to me, and it's never women, it's always men that have come to me and gone, I'm going to be the next Conor McGregor. I'm going to be a world champion. I'm going to do this. I will be, I mean, I would have a couple of houses and an apartment in New York. Oh, wait, and, and they did it, you said? Or that told and they you They don't. That? Sorry. They, they just they, told they you just, that. They took so much shit. Like, how many McGregors have you? <laughs> no, I'm like, they took so much shit. I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that. And I'm the best ever. And then I'm like, well, you might want to put that bag away and get out of the pub if that yeah. is the case. You know, no, like. Uh, uh, <laughs> hold on a second. <laughs> Literally. You need to live. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just like shy talking. And or or if you put so that much energy into training as you do your instagram posts you probably would be but there's certain fighters who you meet along the way and you just go they've got that x factor there's something there's a combination of elements that you just feel that they're going to go on and do something he had, great he had that he had a paul hughes had it reese mckee had it yeah yeah yeah. you know all these guys who are now like Huge. just yeah making their way 100 what do you make of his kind of rise in the ufc and like what he's turned into as a fighter and like his kind of I guess, how he's been perceived now and yeah. with the UFC and stuff like that. I mean, I'm really proud of him, yeah. to be honest, um, because first and foremost, he's my friend and his wife is a very good friend to me. Mm. Um, and yeah, like I care about them and I want them to do well because I like them, you know, and, and they're, they're, I'm close to them. But to see him achieve this is like, I mean, it's almost like being in a simulation. I'm like literally like, What? How did how has this happened? And it, it has happened so quickly and so flawlessly, and exactly as he has predicted. And 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 he's you know said this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. This is how it's going to go. And you know and he he you know Ian is very sweet and he's very you know um, caring and he's considerate and he's like you know. Yeah, he's an MMA fighter. Seems like yeah, he's brought up very well and yeah, all those kind of things. Like of course, wise, like he's, he comes he's, across great. he's a really, really nice guy. Um, and sometimes it's hard to like look online on Twitter and maybe people talking bad about him on Twitter or maybe talking bad about his wife. And you're you're literally sitting there with like, you know, I have to, I don't do it anymore, but I've learned to like just block or delete or mute or whatever it is so that I don't see it anymore. But it, it it's difficult to like, you know, read shit about people that you're friends with and know that it's not true yeah. um, or know that they're not being, um, re- you know, represented properly or people have a bad idea of them. Mm. But I think that's shifting now. I think it was always going to be really difficult for him to create his own path and to emerge as Ian Gary mm. on the back of Connor, you know, and he's been really, not that it's clever or contrived or anything, but, you know, he's not trying to be Connor and he's very vocal about his you know the inspiration yeah. behind connor i think he toes the line really well between yeah. like he's a huge influence of mine but like i mean gary i think yeah. he's towed that line well yeah and i think connor has been really um generous in his like you know 
online support of Ian. And some people might listen to that or hear that and go, well, of course, because they're both Irish. Of course, he's going to show his support. But that's not how it works, you know. And unfortunately, there's loads of stuff that go on behind the scenes in any industry, any business, anything. And it's not all as what people <clears throat> think it to be, you know. So I thought that it was really, um, yeah, really, really uh, good hearted and kind of Connor to be like, you know, he's one of our own. Let's get behind him. Yeah. Let's support him and let's do to him what you've done to me. I think um, even the, the, the huge advantage for Ian is he's so like beautiful to watch fight. Yeah. He really is like of yeah. all the people, I, even it sounds if when I talk to anyone about it, they're like, oh, he's Irish. Obviously. Yeah. Like, gen- <laughs> wa- like I said, watch him fight, particularly the... Um, was it Jeff Neal who pulled out or Neil Magny who pulled? He mm-hmm. fought Neil Magny. Yeah. If you watch the way he chews up that leg and like controls yeah. distance and everything like that, I thought he he looks so good. Yeah. And now the fact that he's starting to take stuff on like short notice mm-hmm. and the kind of things Connor was kind of made famous for or any fighters made famous yeah. for. Um, I think this 2024 could be a huge year for him now yeah. where he can fight, you know, a couple of top 10 guys. And then we're talking about like Leon Edwards, like Kobe Covington and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you Do you see him holding a belt at some point in yeah oh 100 percent. that's 100%. yeah it really is unlike you know the the obviously reese had signed with the ufc before ian um and was given uh as <laughs> first fight beast to be like, yeah, you know so it. it's like at the time we were all like this guy is good and now we know how good he's turned out to be so he got a rough deal and the thing with the UFC, and it's no secret, I mean, everyone knows how the UFC operates. And it's that thing of when we call you, be ready. Be ready. You don't get to dictate the terms. You don't get to dictate the weight. You don't get to dictate this. This is where we'll fit you in. Mm. And you either take it, you take the shot, and it works Look at out Drick for is, you. Is now, like. Yeah, mm. or it doesn't, and you go back to, you know, maybe you retire we'll call you maybe yeah, yeah you know or maybe you don't get called there is that risk as well and you know you see fighters all the time calling for the ufc calling for the ufc i'm ready i'm ready and it's like you really best be ready when they when they give you the call because if you don't make a, like an instant impact when you get there not only for the ufc but for fans as well it's it's makes it even harder to like be on that trajectory so when irish fighters get signed to the ufc and they lose on their first fight like i literally it's so heartbreaking Mm. um that because you know how hard they're going to have to fight again and you know that they're going to get worse fights for them and you know that they're not going to be not protected but you know ian will now find himself in a in in a in a position where the ufc will kind of stand back and go okay let's hear from you mm. what do you want you know the same way that it worked for connor mm. speaking two two last things one very quickly you you just spoke about coming in like short notice taking the opportunity when it comes to you yeah we just saw volkanovsky to do that yeah take an opportunity last minute we kind of saw or at least i i saw the kind of when we saw his shape after when he was in the cage when he first came in it was like evident that he clearly wasn't like fight ready and he said that himself yeah but um like that's one of those moments where now he said it himself he's probably not fighting for the 55 belt Mm. for a while and it's kind of that toss-up where you take the opportunity where it could work out for you and then you know if it doesn't work out we'll figure it out but i think in in that moment do you think that alex should have taken that fight do you think it was a good opportunity for him um i mean i oh like because I, 
I have an opinion on this, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm only having an opinion on it because we're on a podcast and I'm talking about it. There's only, only three people listening, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's all good. Hi, Mom. Because I'm always really like, you know, people always ask me like, do you think this person should have this? Uh, at the end of the day, I, I don't know. Because I, I, you know, I could only have an opinion of Let's what they should have done. put a blanket over the top of this. Oh, <laughs> neither of us know. <laughs> you know, it, I can't speak for yeah. any fighter, you know, and I, and I say that because I interview so many of them and I know how annoyed yeah. they get yeah. when interviewers or broadcasters talk about like what they should or shouldn't yeah. do or what they didn't and do. They, and they're you always don't, like, you don't know shit. No, yeah. And they're of like, yeah, yeah. this all comes with but, the most unseen amount of respect, particularly from you, like knowing yeah. how long you put into it. You obviously know exactly what these guys like go through and you see. Yeah. I'm just average control from yeah, when yeah, I yeah. see yeah. him. And then I don't I'm think like, Alex oh, okay. is watching the pod. <laughs> what he commented under? Yeah. Hey, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Really, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, no, um, my life motto is just say yes always say yes but it's it's one of those things where it's so hard to pinpoint whether it should have been the right decision because of the risk factor in that at that level in the UFC but I think he was right to take the fight Um, and I think it will it just opens up more of a conversation now about like the direction that he goes in and also his age Mm. so it's different if you're 22 and you're in the UFC and you're you know whatever um, so his age is a factor, you know, the stage stage of where he's at in his career. And also, we know we don't have to be told about how the UFC view turndowns. And if you turn down fights, I mean, look at uh, Brendan Lachnan, who signed to the PFL. Obviously, people are like, how did, you know, the UFC not, not sign him? And, you know, it, it's out there why he turned down whatever and why he wasn't signed to the UFC. And he will probably never get to the UFC. Now he's okay because he's at the PFL and he's making an absolute mint over there and he's at the top of the food chain in the PFL. It's probably like your grand lads. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Good, I'm good for six and six. But I, I do feel, I do feel bad for those fighters because they really do have the UFC as the pinnacle uh, in the sports. You know, that that's where they want to be. They want to hold a, a UFC title and that's, you know, what they've grown up kind of emulating. Um, but now obviously there's other promotions that are coming up that can, you know, maybe not match that brand value just yet, but they've made it really worthwhile for the fighters in terms of financially, Mm -hmm. in terms of like the broadcasters that they're going on to now now be with or sponsors and platforms and all that. So it's, it's a really good time. Final question. Okay. You kind of mentioned them already. Um, we're hearing now that like, Connor's return is probably going to be in like 2024. We're hoping it's going to be early yeah. 2024. Um, trying to, I don't want to you just give your opinion. If you could, if you could predict what 2024 looks like for Conor McGregor in, in an ideal world, what do you think would happen? In an ideal world. Um, I have toyed with the idea of whether I want to see Conor back. Sure. Um, mainly because... I'm so like terrified of him not achieving what he wants to achieve when he gets back in there um, and how that would affect him, um, how that would affect the legacy that, you know, he's built up for himself, Irish MMA. Um, but it's, that's not going to happen. He is, go- is going to come back. So I don't know. I don't like to say 
one or two warm up fights, tune in fights, you know, see how, you know, but. He doesn't know the word. I, I mean, think. yeah, you don't know. Like, I yeah. mean, they literally could be like, okay, March, he's in for a title fight, you know, mm. it could be at 190. You know, we literally don't know what's going to happen. Do you like happen. the Chandler fight? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think like uh, they've they've created a little bit of a needle now where, you know, uh, but the thing about Connor is it doesn't matter if he's fighting, you know, the security guards at the arena, it, they're going to make it a huge spectacle. He's mm. going to build it. He's going to sell it. You know, I just hope that it's. And I don't want to say it's his time to retire. Absolutely not. Nothing like that. But, you know, it's the quintessential you know professional fighter thing we see all the time we saw it with ricky hatton we saw it with mike tyson we saw it with muhammad ali it's rare you don't get to see it most of them go out that way they go it goes the other end and it like the legacy becomes tainted and what i don't like about it is that fans who are casual who really don't know the ins and outs of this industry and the pressures and all the things that go with it they just then mark off or box off that fight whereas ah wasn't that good mm. not that great mm. and it's um it's really frustrating you want it you you want everyone wants a george st pierre finish yeah you know what i mean i'll come yeah, back yeah. i'll just grab a belt and i'll i mean all, look I'll at george all, st pierre now like i mean if you follow him on instagram even like i mean even you know his lifestyle mm. now at like what is he like 50 or something keeps like it, he keeps it so tight you know he's it's just like it's just stunning. It's just and his his own mentality about around fighting and like he did it for the lifestyle. But just when he goes out the yeah. way and then you see like BJ Penn and stuff like yeah. that, and you're like, there's the other side of the coin as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I think he comes back, knocks out Chandler, and knocks out Islam, and Champ goes out. That was the re- that was the answer that I meant to give. <laughs> Imagine. No, I think I I there's a po- there's a there's poetry in in Islam and yeah. Connor after the Khabib stuff and that. Yeah. That would be that. That potentially could be a bigger fight than Khabib if yeah. things went the right way. But thank you so much for coming. Thank you. We went for a little bit over time. I apologize, but I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, thank you, guys. Follow Fight Connect TV. Listen to the first exchange, and um, hopefully, we see you on the PFL. Yeah. Hopefully, we see you interviewing all the interviewing friends. I'm going to send this interview to the bosses, yeah. so like I'll be like. Listen, cool. if you need a quirky back guy They are back I mean? December 8th in the 3 arena For anyone that's interested I saw that I actually only, yeah, only heard an ad for it today Yeah Unbelievable Right Thanks so much thank for joining you me so much. Guys like subscribe All those things See you in the next one Peace Awesome Thank you, thank so, you much. so much No problem That was great